0: Welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Data, analytics, big data, data science, machine learning, customer insight, behavioral science, blockchain, data ops, data engineering, agile working. Phew, too many terms, too many things to think about. Do you as a leader need somewhere to turn? To hear what other leaders are doing? To hear what really makes a difference in your business? Welcome. The Customer Insight Leader Podcast is here for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a different leader in the fields of customer insight, data, and analytics, to hear what they really do, what really makes a difference. So settle down, get that cup of coffee, and enjoy the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast, a place to hear from today's leaders in the fields of customer insight, data and analytics. I'm your host, Paul Loughlin, and with me today is Simon Caffell. He is the Director of Data and Analytics for Sovereign Housing Association. Simon's been there for six months since the unfortunate demise of Arcadia Group, where he held a similar position, leading the company on that famous data transformation journey to put data at the heart of an organization. Simon's worked with data and CRM for over 25 years and an old timer like me, in a a broad range of companies from NatWest to Sky, Zurich Global Life Assurance to O2, having won numerous awards along the way. Simon's actually credited with changing the way that Zurich Global Life used data to drive greater business and customer understanding. But throughout his career, Simon says the one constant has been his love of data and helping organizations realize the commercial value that it can bring. So uh, a great person to have on our podcast. Welcome, Simon. Hi, Paul. Great to speak to you. Great to have you as a guest as well. When we spoke previously, I was very struck by uh, your honesty in sharing the highs and lows of your career and the reality that some businesses are more ready or perhaps even willing than others to use data effectively. So. I'm really looking forward to our honest chat today, just a few people listening in. So, uh, oh, I should make a call out as well. I believe it was Ben Salmon who uh, introduced us. So thanks to Ben for that. Uh, listeners will have heard Ben in a previous episode, so you can compare or contrast Simon and Ben's views of the world if that's your kind of thing. Okay, Simon, I, I almost always kick off by asking guests to tell us a bit of their career story, uh, their backstory, if you like just to set a context to where they're coming from for our listeners. So could you tell us a bit about your background and the range of sectors you've had the opportunity to work within?
1: Sure. Uh, So as you said, I've I've worked for a a large number of different companies and and all of those companies have very much had a a data uh, journey that they've been looking to, to travel on. And so I've been very fortunate to play a, a large role in helping those companies move forward, which is uh, an interesting career move for me, given that at university, when I, I started out 25 years ago,
2: mm. I
1: sat with my, uh, my lecturer, who was an ex-Harvard professor. I wasn't at Harvard. Uh, but he was talking about data and databases, and I said to him, look, why are you teaching me this? I'm, I'm never going to need to know about data and database. Great foresight for me there. And uh, clearly that's, <laughs> that's come back to, uh, to haunt me. But uh, I started off actually in a, a pure marketing role at NatWest.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And again, this 25 years ago where we were just beginning to make data more accessible. the business so within that marketing role uh, we we had a reporting tool placed on one dedicated desktop that was sitting at the end of the bank of desks that i was sitting on wow and i spent time just going and and playing with uh with this software Mm -hmm. Uh, and it just my my interest just grew from that i was sent on training courses and and got more and more engaged and involved with the data that we had at NatWest and from there I moved across to Sky where uh, I absolutely loved my time there I, I spent 11 years and oh, yeah. really had quite a, a junior uh, role that was responsible for campaign selection using a tool called Valex for uh, creating the segments and and delivering some personalization to a lot of our communications. And over time, over the 11 years, my role expanded, the team grew, we took on more and more responsibility, driving uh, the use of data to deliver the key KPIs that the the business were, were measured against. Mm-hmm. And I love my time there. But after 11 years, I thought it was time for a change. So I moved on to uh, Zurich, Global Life, mm-hmm. where I was given a, a blank sheet of paper to come up with the data strategy and to help a very conservative, very insurance uh, focus, so risk averse mm-hmm.
2: uh,
1: and very Swiss uh, in their, their mentality and not wanting to, to rock the boat. Uh, organization so having gone from Sky which was hard-hitting and entrepreneurial to, to Zurich was a, a big culture shift and I remember in the first three months or so I was asked by my boss to de-Sky please because you are <laughs> nice. upsetting too many people but it, it was a it was a, an interesting shift for me and the the role really enabled me to work as more of a consultant traveling around the globe, helping the uh, 14 countries that we were operating in to realize the commercial value from their data Mm. assets. So uh, it was great for my, my air miles account and (laughs) uh, but some, some great experiences as well. And it really helped me to appreciate the different cultures, the ways of Mm. working within the, the different countries from Latin America to Europe and and then uh, out into Asia Pac. So I I had a great time there and after two and a half years was asked to go and live in Zurich and and uh, move my family across, which wasn't quite right for me. So uh, I I ended up at O2, mm-hmm. which was a another interesting challenge, but was heading up information management, looking at reporting and helping to drive a data strategy uh, with the oversight of data governance and how we could use that within the business. Uh, unfortunately, the, the commute was a, a little bit too much for me, uh, traveling to Slough from Northwest London on a Monday morning, which was taking about two and a half hours, not good for my sanity. So I, I moved on from there and, and took a role at HSBC mm-hmm. as the EMEA Head of Data Transformation for the Retail Bank and Wealth Management. Uh, so an EMEA-based role, fundamentally helping to move a lot of our legacy data across into big data and, and Hadoop and working with IT functions within the region. Mm-hmm. And in parallel, looking at the global implementation of the Intelligent Sales and Service Transformation Programme, rather lengthy title, and I had a very large business card, as you can imagine, of the <laughs> And that was really how do we use a lot of this legacy data to drive real-time decisioning. So working with the local markets again to help them realize value from their data. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Uh, From HSBC, uh, I moved to Arcadia, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: which was a fantastic organization. I loved my time there.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Again, articulating a data strategy and taking the the organization on the journey, working from the, the managing director down to to really ensure that data was a a key part of the organization and was was integral in decision making. It Mm. was more Mm. visible to uh, decision makers, to my stakeholders, and it was influencing more and more of the business's operations. Mm. Sadly, with uh, the demise of Arcadia, uh, I was, was forced to move on and have taken up a a fixed-term contract with Sovereign Housing Association, where, again, very similar sort of role in terms of articulating the data strategy. Sovereign is a a very large organisation in that it's got over 60,000 houses and and properties uh, in portfolio. So a large number of residents and and customers and, and really the the focus on putting the customer at the heart of the organization is is what helped it to stand out and really attracted me to go and work there. Mm -hmm. So gaining support from the executive board to take them on that data journey, to Mm -hmm. put data at the the heart of decision-making, the heart of CRM, and, and to help them to better understand their overall performance has been a, a really interesting journey um, and deploying governance that, again, I've been able to gain that full engagement across the organisation to, to shift, the, shift the dial in how we're, we're governing our information. So it's been a really interesting journey. And for somebody that, that couldn't see the value in it 26 years ago, <laughs> I get it now.
0: Great, great. <laughs> glad, glad to know the penny has dropped, Simon. <laughs> um, Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. It's, it's a rich and interesting career journey and it's, it's one of the things I thought would be really useful to, to chat through on this, this podcast. Um, I'm struck hearing you retell that story of the number of times you were faced with quite a significant culture change. You know, you talked about the de when you when you arrived at Zurich, but I'm sure as you moved to quite different sectors again like O2 and, uh, and others, and, and probably with Sovereign as well now, it's probably been quite a different organizational culture than where you were before. Do you feel that over the years, you've grown strong in the ability to flex your cultural approach, to be aware how you needed to adapt? Is that a conscious development for you? Cultural adaptation?
2: Yeah, I think as a a professional with 25 years experience that Mm -hmm
1: during that time you do a, a lot of self-reflection, both in terms mm-hmm. of your your personal development, but also in terms of the impact that you have within the organization that you're working with or for. Mm-hmm. For me, yeah, absolutely, I have yeah, I, I think you know that that early story of of having to de-sky was something that really made me aware of the impact that I was having. And I think when I look at Sovereign Housing Association, which is probably the most supportive company that I've worked for, I'll I'll never forget my first senior level presentation that I I gave. Mm. And at the end of it all, because everything is remote and it's all being done on Teams, I started to get instant messages patting me on the back during the during the whole presentation congratulating me well done you really got your point across and nice. it it was fantastic I, I think it's something that I've always tried to do when I've worked in a team for me I'm, I'm very much a people person mm-hmm. the, my I'm not going to be successful in my career if my team are not enabling me to 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 grow to develop to do what I need mm-hmm. to do so I I invested a lot of time working with everybody within my my function both in terms of those people that i'm directly responsible for but also those people that i i have to stakeholder manage and and engage with and yeah. so it's important that they they're taken on the journey they understand what we're looking to do why we're looking to do it and the importance of getting it right. Mm-hmm. And what I think has, has hit home actually quite recently with with sovereign is mm-hmm. that data quality and I mentioned data governance, so clearly data quality falls into that
2: sure is
1: something that is really relevant across all organizations that we work with and I, I think that when you start to look at data quality and, and how we manage it, very often the the reporting the exception analysis that that we're doing we're doing on data that's been captured within our, our systems our architecture our databases
2: mm-hmm. but
1: mm-hmm. often it's too late mm-hmm. we need to work in a way that we're proactive in addressing data quality and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i've i've pulled together an initiative at sovereign that I've called CARE. This is probably about as creative as I, I get. <laughs> talk us that. through
0: it, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so CARE stands for uh, communication, administration, recognition, and education.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And We're rolling this out across the company where communication is that we need to talk more about data. We need to, to articulate mm-hmm. the value that data brings to the company and the role that everybody has
2: mm-hmm.
1: in both using data to make the right decisions and to to engage better with our customers, but also to capture the information and to to realize that I may be capturing some information on a a system, but what does it actually mean? How does that Mm -hmm. information then Mm -hmm. proliferate through the organization? Mm -hmm. Are we gonna be making decisions or communicating to our customers off the back of it, getting somebody's name wrong? Well, it's only a typo, right? Well, no, it's not. It it devalues the the way that our our customer views us. Absolutely, and so the, it's really important that our employees view our customers' data as they view their own data.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When they're they're filling in an expense report, I can guarantee you that none of our employees will make a mistake in entering that data because it impacts their their pocket, right? Mm-hmm. So we should be treating our customer data the same way. So communicating that, getting that train of thought uh, right. In terms of administration, we need to ensure that the right people have access to the right systems and the right data and that they do so once they've been trained and trained yeah. in the right way. We need to continually have those audit and controls in place to ensure that should somebody move roles, that access is, is changed or taken away. Right, and yeah. and so really, you know, batting down the the hatches and and ensuring that that is really well controlled.
2: Yeah,
1: in terms of recognition, we need to celebrate where we're doing things right. We need mm-hmm. to to recognize those people that are doing a good job, mm-hmm. and to to thank them. So we're we're toying with a, a number of ideas at the moment, and uh, one of the things that we're we're looking to do is is something quite simple, which is let's send a, a Box of Quality Street out to somebody that we can see has really improved how they're capturing data. Mm. Uh, again, mm. uh, apologies for this being corny, but we're going to call it a data quality street. data. Hey. <laughs> again, I know it's poor. But to really get that, that engagement, and it's a nice touch just to recognise mm. that mm. You know, data is, is high on people's agenda. Mm. From uh, the flip side of the coin, though, we've also got to pull people up where they're getting it wrong Mm. and we've got to work with teams team managers to really get people aware that actually you're not going to get away with this it's not acceptable Mm. put yourself in your customer's shoes if you Mm. get it wrong and certainly when you look at gdpr and the potential for a data breach
0: absolutely it's terrific
1: so we've got to get that right and then the last piece is around education So education around how to use the systems that we've got and the systems in context. So not just in isolation, straight out of the box, but how we're using it as a a business. There's a piece that we are deploying that is mandatory training. So currently our mandatory training focuses on data protection, which is Mm -hmm. fundamental. Mm -hmm. But we need to raise that uh, uh, another couple of notches to include... Uh, the data awareness, so as I've mentioned a lot of the communications at the beginning, um, and also InfoSec, so really ensuring that we've got a, a cohesive story that everybody has to attend. And then I'm doing a, a piece with the DPO where we've got around about 2,000 employees suffering. Okay. So it's a case of road showing a presentation that I've pulled together to really raise the, the prominence and the awareness of data. And my hope is that those four elements, which are all very closely intertwined, uh, will, sure. will really lift the, the culture. And I'm presenting progress on this to the executive board once a month so that they can see that we're moving in the right direction.
0: Good, good. It's well, good. good to hear, both in terms of um, that kind of data quality education, but the uh, the, the visibility and the, the prominence it's steady got in the organisation. Uh, th- thanks for talking us through that, Simon. I guess the thing that Connected hearing your career story with what you've just shared for me was the challenge of domain knowledge. You've clearly moved sector a number of times. Um, and often I find people who excel at uh, data management, data data quality, improvement. You know, it's not being treated like the way that you'd run a bean factory is the, the typical example. But, you know, it's not that just data is stuff and we have to manage it effectively, but there's a deep understanding of what the data represents, uh, really understanding critical pieces of information, their meaning in the real world, and their commercial impact within the organization as well. You must have faced the challenge that you're a number of times in your career rocking up at a place where you don't have any of that domain knowledge. Is it something you focus on building early on? Does it come down to the way you work with other people? What, what helps close that gap for you, Simon?
1: absolutely it's people it, it right. the the advantage of of moving into a an organization that has a form of an established data function is that you have people who who understand data who understand the organization and so it, joining a, a new company it's paramount that you sit and you listen you mm. understand what is going on you understand Business because I think the best will in the world joining any organization, you think you understand the top line how the organization operates, but it's Mm -hmm. only when you start to talk to those people who have the experience of making it work, that have the experience of the intricacies of the business operations, that you really understand the challenges Mm -hmm. and that you are able to start to
2: to deliver value i think empowering teams to to have a voice to speak up mm-hmm. to uh, to lead you as a,
1: a a team lead on a journey as well is is just as important I don't go into any organizations with a, a prescriptive authoritative view that says, right, that's it. You've got to do things this way. You've got to uh, listen to yeah. what I say because I know everything. I don't. Yeah. yeah. I, I know that I don't know that I need to learn that I, I have to be open. Mm-hmm. Uh, external research is, is key as well. So the, um, the web is a wonderful thing. YouTube is a wonderful thing, uh, and and so really learning about what is going on, uh, and and to to learn about external influences as well that perhaps you're, you're not aware of are key, and and so it, the the research has to to continue, and you know even at my time at Sky, after 11 years, i am still happily sitting there and say, look, I don't know everything that's going on. But I'm continuing to learn, and I think any any data leader worth their salt has got to be that open that they are continuing to learn, and that they they're continuing to develop because the world outside your organization is evolving and and developing at such a pace. The ones of COVID have, have changed the world, and so we are continually uh, learning and and. Yeah. So for me, I think you know, becoming a, a sponge whenever I join a new organisation is something mm-hmm. that I've I've grown to to be quite strong
2: at.
0: Great, great. Thank you, Simon. That that makes that makes good sense. Great advice for people's first ninety days. But as you say, uh, um, an attitude for data leaders to maintain that uh, that curiosity, that empowerment of people, that constant learning, and that focus on external commerciality as well. Glad to hear that. You. You dwelt a number of times, as you've reflected on your career story, on your time at Skype. Obviously, you spent 11 years there. It's clearly also a time in your career that you found pretty motivating um, and when you made a considerable difference to that business. On reflection, looking back now, having worked elsewhere, why do you think that was? What made it so effective a time for you?
2: I think the... The
1: fact that no two days were the same at Sky. Okay. I, I was, uh, believe it or not, in the gym at around about seven o'clock in the morning uh, and was at my desk by about 10 to eight and was clearly not spending that long in the gym, but was, <laughs> um, was at my desk, was raring to go because there were, the people that I was working with were very energetic were were mm-hmm. very entrepreneur entrepreneurial in their approach mm-hmm. coming up with new ideas new challenges and Skys a, a very data centric organization I mean, you only have to look yeah. at the, the size of their data capability now mm-hmm. to see how how uh, important it is to their growth and development and so for me you know, being a part of that and, and building the really creating the building blocks for, for a lot of the uh sky capability now was was great you know we could really see the the value the growth deploying personalization uh deploying uh some some early ai to to optimize our, our uh use of data our data planning for for campaigns we were launching some fantastic products so uh things like uh, HD broadband, uh, Sky Mobile, all really fantastic products. That again, data always had a seat at the table, right. and so uh, to to drive a lot of the KPIs and a lot of the growth that the business had, there was that focus. I had a a large, healthy budget that I could work with to nice. deliver some really innovative solutions that Mm. we we gained quite a bit of industry recognition for Um, but I suppose really that the one thing that that made it most appealing to me was the people my team were great I loved working with them and the my manager uh, was was great as well he gave me the autonomy that I needed to deliver what I wanted to uh, and to work with the business and there were times where I'd also get uh, visibility of, of sitting with, with James Murdoch, mm-hmm. taking him through data governance and, and definitions, as well as mm-hmm. talking through some of the solutions that we were creating as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was, it was uh, a really fun time.
0: Good, good, good to hear. I, I'm struck how much through a number of the conversations I've had with leaders on this podcast series, even though it's perceived maybe outside the data world as data and analytics leadership roles, as technical specialist roles, time and time again, the distinguishing factors to those leaders' most productive times are people-focused, are attitude-focused, and are empowerment-focused as to how they were given the space and enabled to use terms like have a seat at the table and a, an empowering line manager. Clearly, that is critical and maybe not focused on as much with data leaders as it ought to be because... You hear so much about the technical knowledge and skills such leaders need, but maybe less about that attitude and culture of empowerment. Would you, would you agree?
2: Completely agree. I think
1: clearly the, the more you lead, the further away from hands-on uh, technical uh, system use you, mm. you have. Um, the last time I coded was a, a very long time ago. <laughs>
0: yeah, likewise.
1: I you know but that's what gets you into data or for a lot of people that and, and a lot of my peers, you start off as a data professional because you like to code you're a bit of a geek at heart and actually moving away from being that that data hands on professional to being more strategic and and telling the commercial story, answering the question around well what's in it for you, why should you listen to me why should you you why should data have a seat in the table yeah. is, is a real mind shift, mind shift. It's how do you become more extrovert? How do you step mm-hmm. away from behind your computer screen? Mm-hmm. And how do you have those discussions with the business who don't care about the intricacies, the technical details, they care about the value for them. How are you going to make my life different? So stepping away, being, being able to translate that, this is the solution, okay, but how do I sell it in? How do I sit yeah. with the James Murdochs or the the MD at, at Arcadia and tell him that don't worry about the machinations? Mm. This is what I'm gonna give you. This is why you want to pay attention. This is the the story that we we yes. need to go down. And the only way that you can you can extricate yourself from that is to have the people that that make it work. Mm-hmm. to empower them to be able to do so to provide them with the the shelter the umbrella that says look don't worry about the pressure i'll handle the pressure from our yeah. stakeholders if it's coming but do what you need to do to make it work you if you're thinking about coders and and mm-hmm. some of the capability that is is needed to deliver data solutions the difference between uh, an and and an or, is huge Mm -hmm. do you need somebody that is going to be doing that coding for you to be pressured to possibly make a mistake Mm -hmm. or do you provide them with the structure and the support and the guidance that enables them to do their job and to flourish and to explore and to to maybe fail fail quickly but to learn from it Yes. And to obviously not fail to to a huge detriment to the organisation mm-hmm. you're providing mm-hmm. with that that supported environment, but to to allow them to do that, to enable them, to provide them with the the right sort of environment, and yeah, you know, it's it's all about them growing. I yes. one of my my real satisfaction. Uh, that I that I, I really uh, get a, a lot of happiness from is that a lot of the guys that I've worked with throughout my career,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I'm I'm still mentoring quite a few of them, but I'm seeing a lot of people growing and developing. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. fantastic. And I, yeah. I, I I there's a part of me that takes a lot of pride in that.
0: Yeah, completely relate to that. Uh, it's it's been a joy for me over the years as well seeing those who've worked for me, develop and grow and and, and some become technically excellent, some, as you you say, make that transition toward more dynamic um, leaders who can do the commercial translation story. And I think you're right to highlight that, provide air cover to their technical people as well. I'm keen to also dig into, after your time at Sky, you've worked for a wide range of organizations and helped them make progress on the data transformation, but it's, it's obvious in the way you tell the story Simon, that some have been more successful than others, and perhaps some have been a bit more willing than others. I wonder whether you've spotted any themes as to what causes some organisations to succeed with data transformation, and some others, even if there's a really good data leader, even if there's a really good team, not to make that kind of breakthrough. What's what's made the difference in your experience?
2: I think that it...
1: It's more than just the data team. Mm-hmm. It's, data needs to be at the heart of the organization. Okay. So how mm-hmm. the, the data capability is deployed and utilized within the organization. If you're transforming data, then that's great. But what are the, what are the knock-on effects for yes. operations, for the way that reports are created, the way that the data is being used to engage with the customer? Mm -hmm. are all fundamental so if you don't have that full enterprise-wide engagement then the the data initiatives will struggle data Mm -hmm. is not going to be successful in isolation it's about how it's used and how it, it really delivers value to the numerous touch points and and operations and and, uh, integration with our our customers, how we're empowering our customers, how we're delivering insight. And so it, it needs to be used and it needs to be used the right way. And I suppose, again, that goes back to that earlier point around enabling the leader to step away from the technical solution to be able to articulate the story around why should I pay attention to data? What's in it for me? Why should I use it? and really to have that engagement to say look guys let's work on changing the the way that you're operating the the work that i did at sovereign i worked with the guys in chile Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and very tough having to go and spend some time over in santiago but i um (laughs) i worked it was very tough Uh, i worked with them Uh, they wanted to Better understand how to acquire more customers, and I, I sat with them and, and had a play with with the data and, and worked with a couple of colleagues that that really understood the model. Mm-hmm. And actually, it wasn't about acquisition that was their problem; it was actually a retention issue. Mm-hmm. And the way that they were bringing customers on was was really unique in that you had salespeople sitting with uh, Chilean miners who would okay. travel on their coach from the point that the miners would check in at the front gate all the way through to the mine face itself, which is around right about a three hour journey. Mm-hmm. So you've got a salesman in there saying, take a life insurance policy for for three months, get it for free. And, um, you know, keep, uh, keep with us afterwards. So obviously these guys who are stuck with a salesman <laughs> are going to come around and go, yeah, okay, I'll have that if it's free. And just to go, yeah get rid of you during this journey, I want to relax. Yes. yeah. And then, funnily enough, after three months, churn would go through the ceiling,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, because, well, I've had my, my three months, thank you very much, so being able to sit down and say, look, this is the wrong story. And mm-hmm. to to have those leaders that are sitting there that are open to operating, model well doesn't quite work, let's change it, let's get things right. And I think you, what we've got to be appreciative of is, that's all great, but if you've not got those, those people who are open, that listen, that wanna work, that wanna improve, that mm. have the, the ego, I know about data, I know about big data and artificial intelligence and machine learning because a management consultant has mm. spoken mm. to me about it or I've read about it, well, yeah, but do you really need it? Do you really need to run when we're not necessarily walking? Again, a, a similar story in, in uh, Germany, uh, I, I was brought in to help them realize more value from their, their data and uh, I sat with the CEO and, and the marketing director, who told me about this suite of uh, propensity models that they were looking to build to really drive their engagement with their customer base. And I said, you know, fantastic. You've given this a lot of thought. Can I just ask you though, how many customers have you got? And where do they live? What do they look like? What's their profile? Really simple questions. It because if we get the basics right, then maybe we can do some simple profiling and get some similar customers in. No, we're not doing that. We need these models. And don't worry, Simon, thanks for coming over. But we've got this guy that we think is going to add huge value. And I met him and I've never met anybody. I looked him up online and he's, he had more PhDs that I've had popped in a huge brain and he, he went away worked on this suite of stuff that these these guys had asked him for and he presented to the board and, and very kindly everybody spoke in English for for me to, to understand what was going on and he said right before we start with any of this really what you needed to do is to understand well how many customers have you got where do they live what do they look like and I just sat there with this huge grin on my face and to their credit, the CEO stopped the meeting and he walked round the table and he came over to me and he apologised. And, yeah, know, it, it was having, he, he shut his ego down and he was actually open. And, and from that moment on, I got a lot more credibility with him. But it was just, no, that initial, this is my approach, this is the way that I'm going to do it. Yeah, And it just doesn't work. You've got to be open. You've got to understand that, a lot of data people really understand how the organization works. So work with them. Listen to what they're telling you, because they can yeah. see the, the organization in far more detail than you can. Yeah, and good, I think good. that's really, really important.
0: Thanks, Simon. Yeah, no, good point. And I completely echo um, you calling out the importance, not just of the data leader's attitude, but the attitude and readiness of the business and the senior leaders as well. Given given that importance, the importance of, if you like, the senior leaders getting it or being, being open to learn. I wonder if you were hearing from other data leaders, maybe you've been in this position before at one point in your career. You put the effort in to try and educate senior leadership and you're still convinced they don't really get it. They're still living by the hype buzzwords. They're not understanding what it really means in practice. If you're a data leader stuck in an organisation like that, which you kind of see heading for failure, would you advise data leaders to leave and work elsewhere? Does it get to a stage where you say, I could be the best data leader in the world, but this place is not ready for it. The leadership have not got it. I'm better to leave. Would you recommend that?
1: I think it really depends on the individual. I think that a a lot of people are up for a fight. Hmm. And to, to really work with, colleagues to to make a difference i think that again i go back to to the zurich situation because it's quite compartmentalized given that all different countries that i was working with
2: sure yeah.
1: in that uh, initially i came up against quite a few barriers quite a few countries saying that no, we don't need that data thing at the moment we're focusing on this priority which is which is absolutely fine mm-hmm. But being able to find that, that one person that says, well, okay, let's see how we can demonstrate some value. Let's see what we can do. So I, I was able to uh, work quite well with the managing director in Argentina. Mm-hmm. And I sat with him and I said, look, give me a chance. Let me show you what I can do, mm-hmm. which I did. And was then able to turn around to the, the whole organization and present, uh, this is the art of what is possible, guys. Yeah. This is yeah. the value. It's very difficult to argue against
2: mm-hmm.
1: where there is demonstrable value, uh, yeah. and that the business is, is improving. And if you're able to demonstrate that return on investment, that mm-hmm. it, it makes the argument very difficult to to uh, turn away from. Then, yeah, you know, I, I think that if if you can't get any traction off the back of that, then yeah, I, I would certainly consider looking elsewhere. Um, I. I I had one instance where I think personalities didn't quite fit. Uh, and there was a, a senior colleague who turned around to me at one stage and told me that she was the chief data officer, uh, completely out of the blue because she was the uh, the marketing director at the time. So I, I was quite confused by that. But I, I sat with her and said, okay, if you're the chief data officer, then let's talk about data governance and reference data management and master data management and how you're going to optimize that. And, oh, no, that's, that's uh, not my role. That's IT. No, it's not your chief data officer. You've got to really understand everything that's going on with data, how you're going to manage it.
2: No, nope,
1: it's IT. And I just found myself you know, um, banging my head against a brick wall. Yeah. So in that instance, uh, I chose to, to move on. I, I could see that I wasn't gonna get anywhere. And I found an organization that was far more open and uh, yeah, was able to, to greatly influence them. I think that the important thing is that still in those organizations where you do find those challenges, still find those operations to grow, to develop, because you wanna have something on your CV that says, yeah, actually I did this. My time wasn't wasted. I was still able to to. uh to expand my, my knowledge and to and continue to learn. That's fundamental. You need to be able to demonstrate what you've delivered. But if you can't see that longer term picture, then yeah, uh, I, I certainly jump ship.
0: Yeah, okay, thank you. Good, good advice, Simon. I completely echo from my own experience, the, the value of, of looking for potential advocates to build internal case studies. They can be so powerful, but, but also yeah, keeping that, that longer career view of times when it is uh, the right time to uh, to leave a particular situation. Um, one of the other things that I regularly ask leaders on this podcast is how they themselves are still developing as a leader because I'm conscious of not wanting to present maybe those of us who are a bit longer in the tooth as well, if I might say that, um, as thinking of ourselves as the finished article. I think all, all effective leaders see themselves as a work in progress What about you, Simon? Where are you still actively developing skills as a leader?
1: I'm my biggest critic, and I am uh, continually looking at what it is that I'm doing, how I'm doing it, what I I need to do to get better. Mm. I think that the understanding the the data industry how it's continuing to to evolve and develop is is a really tough one okay Uh, the the number of solutions that are out in the marketplace there is so much noise there is so much development the the suppliers the vendors that are out there are continually looking at the sale not necessarily looking at the value
2: Mm.
1: and so i think getting lost in the mire of of technology is, is often uh, a lot of unnecessary distraction. For me, there is the appreciation of what will drive the business forward. Mm -hmm. How do we continually evolve? What are the commercial benefits that we can, we can realize. And so the The areas that I continually focus on is how can we get smarter? how can we drive the the change, the continued evolution, the transformation of the business? so i'm I'm continually working on my stakeholder management, how i how I ask the right questions, how I provide the right answers, and to do so in a way that is is meaningful, that is insightful, that is providing the business with. Something that they they can get to grips with and, and they can come on the journey. So certainly working on how I identify what the hooks are, when when somebody is asking me a question, what do they really want to know? And yeah, how can I then take that and translate it? So it's, it's that it's almost stepping away from the data, and it is is driving that personal, that interaction, understanding the business. and and driving better communications with with our stakeholders. Uh, I think that's the piece that I'm I'm continually looking to to evolve and to to get stronger on. Because we've got so many good people who are still getting their hands dirty on the data, who are still playing with tools, who are writing the right sort of code, and that's great. And I want to empower them to, to turn around to them and say, okay this is now the business problem guys, how do we make this jigsaw puzzle work? Mm. And so if I've got that front-end piece where I'm, I'm managing the stakeholders, managing their, their demands, I understand what they're after, that's the, the crux for me.
0: About 50% of the leadership, uh, not of the leadership, of the listenership, if I use that strange word, to this podcast, are younger and probably earlier in their, their data analytics career, what tips would you have for them, people who are starting off in this world where there's um such opportunity and such growth these days? What skills and knowledge would you recommend they focus on developing near the beginning?
1: I think certainly when when I look at my career, um, the the one thing that I've done throughout it all is to listen. to mm-hmm. understand what is going on and and to listen, to be able to interpret what you're being asked to do Mm -hmm. uh, to to understand the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. I think one of the the challenges that we have as as analysts, uh, certainly very on in our careers, is that if you're asked a question, you'll give the answer to that question. Really, you need to think about the bigger picture. What is it that you're really being asked for? But more importantly is the insight. It's the so what. Mm What are you actually telling me? Just telling me that the sky is blue. Well, yeah, great. You know, I, I could look out the window. What does it mean? Why, why should I, I pay attention? What does it mean for my business? If you are identifying a problem, don't just tell me what the problem is, but help me find a solution. So add value to your whole engagement with, uh, with the business. Don't talk techie, but- Talk in a language that your stakeholders uh, can understand and can support you on. If, if you are speaking a language that is too difficult or people haven't been trained to be able to interpret, they can't support you if they want to. And I think that's a, a difficult piece. They can't provide that air cover that we spoke about before. Yeah. So understand who you're, you're dealing with. Understand who you're supporting and provide them with more than just the simple answers. And I think that when you look at tooling and how it's developing, the the solutions that are being made available for people, even if you look at something like Power BI, it's a tool that is intuitive, it's engaging. If dashboards are built the right way, people are able to self-serve to generate their own insights. So, you're going to have to deliver value that is above and beyond what a new marketing professional or a new finance professional is able to generate for themselves. And many people that are now coming out of universities, and it was different 20 years ago when, as part of your degree, you, you had no interest in data. You was really focusing on marketing or finance. But now it is about data. Data is an integral part of what people do. So as a data professional, you need to add value because the tools let people do a lot of the basics that historically you've been able to get
0: away with. Good advice, Simon. Thank you. Time is against us, unfortunately. It's been good to talk to you, and I knew you'd have a rich experience to pick over. Um, any final thoughts that you wanted to share with with data leaders or those listening on the call?
1: Hopefully, my 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 enthusiasm, my my passion and energy for data has has come across even after 25 years and a lot of gray hairs i (laughs) i'm still really motivated by the value that data brings an organization
2: good
1: and i think that as leaders we need to embody that Mm -hmm. i was uh part of a a presentation that was introduced to the the organization i'm not going to name and shame the individual but the managing director of this organization uh, announced at a uh, enterprise-wide communication that the focus for the coming year was data. And I know data is a bit dull, but we're going to focus on, on how we can use it within the business. And we brought Simon in to, to help us. So I, I don't know if the reference was Simon is dull or data. <laughs> is dull. I'm hoping it's well the latter. But... It, we need as data professionals, as as data leaders to shift that mindset. If you're looking at ones and zeros, yeah, it probably is a bit dull. If you're looking at the value it brings to the business, it's not. Data is the, the heartbeat, it's the engine, it's all of the other corny Phrases that have been used with regard to data. Mm
0: -hmm. And if
1: you're not passionate about it, if you're not energetic Mm -hmm. and enthusiastic and driven to deliver, yes, then you're not doing data value. You're not um really making the most of it all. So as a data leader, I guess my I'd implore everybody to continue to to deliver that energy and that passion and to get that message out in an engaging way that people want to be part of that journey.
0: Nice, nice, nice final thoughts, Simon. Thank you for that. I'm I'm struck listening to you say that. uh, To remember the the Nate Silver quote where he talked about, uh, we speak for the data, we imbue it with meaning. I maybe add to that with what you've said, we we give it personality as well. And I I agree with you. There's a a need to have that passion and drive to uh, energize people about that potential. It's been great to speak to you today, Simon. Thank you for everything you've been willing to share with us. It's been good to talk thank you for your time paul I've, I've really enjoyed it great thank you and thank you everybody for listening i hope you found that helpful hopefully uh, examples and ideas that you can take away in your own data leadership roles please continue to listen to the customer insight leader podcast more great interviews coming up and each week there's also fresh content on our blog customer insight leader or oneword.com so you might want to check that out too before then thanks everyone for your time have a great week stay safe and enjoy bringing personality to your data. Bye for now.